0: Stay hungry, stay foolish.
1: So now on the Innovation Show, it's a great honor to welcome Martin Grunberg author of the habit factor founder of the habit factor app and author of paradox welcome to the show martin
2: aiden thank you very much for the invite it is a pleasure to be here yeah man it's we've, we've been planning this for a while and you you
1: kindly gave me enough time to read the book uh, haven't got onto pressure paradox yet but i mean ju- just reading the book um it's the most it's so holistic in that all you've captured and y- you've obviously encapsulated so much knowledge that you've picked up over time because it covers every aspect of habits but I, I one of the things i find really interesting is is the accompanying app so the app that you released back in 09 so shortly after two years after the iphone launched you were so far ahead of the game in that model of wanting to help people actually achieve their goals quicker and and that's your ultimate goal but before we even go near all the, all that it'd be great to hear how you got to the book in the first place?
2: Yeah, well, uh, I think everything has has a beginning, and and for me, Aiden, um, and this is a part of the reason I wanted to uh, be on your show and share this with your audience. It's, I've become a big believer of that our weaknesses can become our strengths or great strengths, and and certainly I didn't know that I don't know fifteen plus years ago, but. One of the things that I struggled most with um, was goal achievement. i I fell into this horrible cycle. I'd set goals, and then life would happen. and then a year or two later, really no progress. i would I would begin, I would get myself excited, and then <laughs> nothing significant would happen. And um, until one day, It took a bit of an existential crisis. I just turned 35. I gave myself this one question. What If you were to die tomorrow, what would you most regret not achieving or experiencing? And it was that question that kind of launched. It was the catalyst ultimately for the habit factor because what I did was I... (laughs) I <laughs> I even though I didn't own a paddleboard and I'd never paddled in any race, the thing that came to the top of the list, Aiden, was a paddling event, a 32 mile across the uh channel here from from basically Los Angeles to Catalina. And you start in Catalina and you paddle across. So it's 32 miles. And growing up, I had always heard about this. And there I was 35 going if you don't commit now, you're really never going to do this. And it was that commitment. I signed up and then I had to figure it out. And And out of that experience came this much more simple process, um, which I was able to look back in hindsight and realize it had very little to do with a to-do list and a lot more to do with just being consistent in developing supportive habits so really that was the origination for all of this the book the app etc so the gym is a place for me where i see
1: people come in on a monday and and across the week you see tuesday less people you see wednesday less people thursday friday the gym is dead and they probably you know i'm sure the gym people just know this every single time they just go and it's the same every year and they're like we have every year January to sign people up because they will fade across the year for the last of the year. And you know, when people make goals, whether it's corporate or personal, and then they don't have the discipline or the habit to follow up that goal. And I I remember this great story where this guy keeps praying to God and he's like, God, I want the, the to win the lotto, I want to win the lotto, I want to win the lottery. And then God appears to him one day and he's there. Okay, you want to win the lottery? Do me a favor, buy a ticket. All right. it, it really resonated with me because it's exactly this. It's exactly not following up. You got to, once you set the goal, you got to do the work. And and it's, I, I just think it's such a great book to, as, as a spark, as a kick up the backside to go, go and do it. And here's a way to do it. And here's a way to understand and deconstruct habits so you can actually form them in the right direction.
2: Yeah, th- for me. So, and I probably didn't articulate it completely. And this is a part of the innovation that might fit with your audience. So today, <clears throat> even though the app's been around for seven plus years, you can still kind of Google best methodology for goals and something called smart goals comes up and it references specific, measurable, attainable, relevant and time bound. And I was very familiar with uh, smart goals. Um, but if you go through that process, what you end up with is a to-do list. So if my goal were to run a marathon and it was specific and measurable and attainable and relevant and time-bound, I would still get a to-do list at the end of that, Aiden, that said, buy shoes, buy shorts, call a trainer, sign up. And you know, for more complicated goals, that to-do list could be hundreds of steps and the crazy thing about a to-do list is tomorrow you have a brand new one. And what the habit factor method actually says, and the reason it's it's had a lot of traction and success is it says, forget about just take your goal, as you just said, deconstruct it and ask yourself what are the three to five essential reoccurring behaviors, habits, That will help you achieve the goal so so let's take the marathon example well rather than call the trainer buy shoes register i have drink water (laughs) right and i'm going to do that monday tuesday i'm going to do that every day of the week i'm going to make sure i drink x glasses of water and then the next habit to focus on is run and because i've never run before i'm just going to shoot for you know and this is just an example 3 times a week 20 minutes but the beauty of working from a habit list following this habit factor methodology is is that just shows up for you every day you're not you're not reconstructing a to-do list and you're not the the things like signing up and calling the trainer those are probably going to happen anyways what what i have found from my experience is to focus on the core recurring behavior and track that so you set up the target 3 times a week 20 minutes you track it and then the next week you do the same and the ideal is you track that Aiden for 4 weeks and then you raise the bar so so maybe you know on the 5th week it's 4 times a week I'm going to run for 30 minutes and you can see how that habit strength is increasing carrying you toward ultimately completing this goal I've, you know people say
1: what's well, measured gets improved when, when you have the app as an accompanying thing in the gym and i'm not a meathead here and make sound like i am but uh, if, if i'm in the gym and i track what i do if i write down what i lifted and then i go back the next day it, it's it's like magic happens it's like you improve because you know what you lifted last week you're looking at it you're tracking it and again, as you said, it's it's almost like a kind of a reward that if you're rewarded by seeing that you're improving, if you're rewarded also by what you feed yourself afterwards, and that's almost like a carrot being dangled in front of you. But I find the app does that for you. So if the app is accompanying you with all your habits and tracking them, you can also track the negative things. And, you know, you, know, you mentioned in the book, this Chinese proverb, which is uh, beginning is the new, is the easy part continuing is difficult and that that makes so much sense with the book but one of the things martin i'll I'll jump to um because i love this is a quote um by william james and you i'd never heard of william james until i saw the book william james talking to teachers in harvard in 1892 and oh man this is a great quote our virtues are as much as our vices, our habits our lives are but a mass of habits burying us irresistibly towards their destiny and I just thought that is that nails it our lives are but a mass of our habits because we are our habits we are because we're born with this tabula rasa which is this blank slate and uh, and then we we it's almost like our parents our mentors our teachers have this massive responsibility of inputting an operating system into us and that is such a a it's such an important part of our lives but also, on our side, then, when we're older and we can control that, we need to realize that, that we, we, need, we are these habits, and we need to actually be aware of what they are and improve them.
2: There's a few things there, and I, I couldn't agree more, of course, but the, what I found absolutely fascinating as I went to research, uh, and I did years of research, the, um, the Latin root – you know it's interesting that you're bringing up this idea of character the latin root of habit is habit habitus right and it means condition or character so i almost got chills when i first saw that because what that said to me at least was my existence at this moment my character was the sum total of all my thought habits and all my behavior habits to this point—that's what makes up my character. That's why it's the your character or your condition, how you are at this moment. Um, so when you talk about tabla rasa, that's where we begin. But as we sit here now speaking, and as the listener sits driving or doing whatever they're doing, you know, it's it's fairly simple to just reverse engineer that statement and say, "Is this true? Am I?" Am I the sum total of all my thought habits and behavior habits? And I have yet, probably speaking to thousands of people now over many years, have anybody say that's uh, not an accurate observation. <laughs> and it's not mine. I mean, I'm just saying that's their, the Latin definition. I, I
1: talked to my son about this. My son, Josh, is turns just turned seven. And um, sometimes he'll go in to wash his hands. And I know he's not washing his hands. Like he'll literally turn on the tap and 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 not wash his hands and come out just because he doesn't like doing. It. But uh, I I told him this quote that really, really helped me with my rugby career, which is character is what you do when no one's looking. I like so it it's and that you know Habitus. When I read Habitus, I was like, that is that's why character is such an important part of of your character because. What you do when nobody's looking, A, it means two things now after I've read the book. What I meant for that, what what I initially took from that was character is when I'm in the gym on my own lifting or when I'm doing my, when I'm doing my fitness and I don't cut corners and I'm not, I'm not cutting the corners because I'm cheating. I'm actually not cutting the corners because I'm doing it for me. You know, I'm not doing it for a coach. I'm not doing it for anybody else. I'm doing it for me. It's an internally motivation. Internally motivated, and reason I'm doing it. But then, when I read the book, I was like, "Well, character is also what people see in you. In that, it's if your collection of your habits, if you, and I'm, I'm going down to basic habits, words you use, quips you have, the way you write, all those things. And that's why that William James quote really resonated. It was you're a collection of that, and that's that's the way the world see you. And once you're aware you can deconstruct and you can rebuild.
2: And that's the key thing. So you can break them once you know they're there. Amen. Yeah, it, it gets confusing. Uh, certainly was for me and a lot of people at first because, first of all, we, we bring this baggage to the table, which has to do with the negative connotation of habit. And the reason that in many ways this was, you know, I'm using air quotes, a breakthrough is incredibly there – you know, some top PhDs doing studies, of course, none of which I am, but doing studies on goal theory and never mentioning or considering the word habit. And it's not because they're not smart. It's because, at least in our society, habit has a predominantly negative connotation, smoking, drinking, drugs. And if you, how could anybody correlate habit to goal achievement if uh, you're thinking in terms of, you know, the negatives. But let me jump over now to William James, because I'm so glad you brought that up. William James was, first of all, he's known as the, the father of modern psychology, and he would tour the campus of Harvard back in like 1892. I You probably have the date in front of you. I don't, but he would give these talks. and one of the most famous ones was something called,, um, well, it was habit, but but the the series was called Talks to Teachers. And he would implore teachers to, because if you go back on that quote, Aiden, you'll see this one part where he he tries to explain to them somewhat what I was just saying, that we gotta stop thinking of habit in terms of negative. So if you read back a little further, you'll see he says it's not just, I think he even uses the word, we predominantly think X, but but it's not just negative habits. The, the, the thing that helped me the most was realizing it's not good or bad. It's neutral. It doesn't care about us. It's a force and it's in some ways it's almost like star wars it's, it's you can use the force to your to your favor or you can let the force kind of work without your awareness and and lead you wherever it goes so you have the option and the ability to take control and guide that force and that's what the app is designed to do but i knew really this was a case where an app wouldn't be enough because there had to be the explanation and a book wouldn't be enough because, frankly, I'm fairly wary of all the self-help books. And, and if I was going to do a, I don't even necessarily, I mean, self-help is okay. I like personal development. But the point is, if I was going to do a personal development book, it had to be different. There had to be a, a process or a methodology to practice the ideas in the book. And so that's how these complemented each other.
1: You talked about autopilot. So when somebody's on autopilot, like it's what I always think of is, you know, when you punch in uh, your, your alarm code and then, so you do it automatically and then you might go upstairs and your partner, your wife, somebody might go, did you turn on the alarm? And you go, yeah, I don't know, because I, I, I automatically do it. And now only because you question me, I don't know if I did. And, and you were inev- and, and you inevitably did. And it's like you're on autopilot. And it's this, your brain is actually saving energy. And that's why it, it, it instills these habits into your life. And it makes you do these things in such a, a an efficient way. And that's why Tavala raza becomes such an important thing. and But it puts huge onus and responsibility on us as parents, as mentors, but also as businessmen and coaches, uh, our, our businessmen and CEOs, because we basically set the habit for the world for, for the business. And and I thought, you know, this is something I'm, I'm going to write a blog on before the, before the show. Is corporate habits are actually the responsibility of the leader? And people say that businesses are but a shadow of the leader.
2: Yeah, I, you know, there's a a quote. I have no idea who said it but anything that changes your values changes your behaviors and I think for the most part that's true and and so what what you said is is very appropriate business leaders are asked at times or or at least the leadership of a company to define what what the company stands for what do they value who are they and Out of those values you can then do things like hire the right people that will fit the culture so it's not just some words on a wall the idea is values direct and guide behavior if we value this is a cliche but if we value integrity and somebody in the company does the wrong thing that's obviously a mismatch right
1: in the book, you talk about this, where in an interview, it becomes really important to go, like, I love this, man, I love this, you you nailed this. It's like, so people ask you all these questions about the type of people they want, but they don't really deconstruct and go, okay, well, what's the DNA of the type of person I want? And then you go, what are your five habits that makes you the type of person we want to, we want to hire? Because that that becomes key. If you actually it's almost like a framework if you actually go, this is the type of habits of type of people, and it's like constant learners. It's like, uh, you know, cheerful, all those kind of things, be- because they are actually habits, those things, if you think about them that way.
2: Am I right? Yeah, no, I love it. You know, first of all, I've done dozens of interviews, and, and uh, you're the first guy to key on that. And, and in some ways, to me, it's, it's a great hiring hack, and it's totally <laughs> legal for business leaders listening the the idea is the idea simply is we're we're looking for the character of the person so yeah I'm cheating a little because I know character is tied to habit so what's fascinating to me is some people in the interview process just absolutely give me a dead stare they because they're caught off guard just by the idea of you know, tell me your five best habits. And they just kind of like tilt their head and what? <laughs> like good habits? What does that mean? So, and I'm not trying to pick on them. The The idea is if you can, as you said, deconstruct, identify the habits, then you understand the values. Because a lot of times people say, well, what, give me your top values. And people will just spit out the classic cliched values. However, if I say, give me your give me your, uh, top three habits. And the guy says, well, or the gal, I, you know, I like to read to my kids at night. Um, I make sure I eat an apple a day. I have to work out three times a week. To me, I know their values are health, diet and exercise and, and kids and responsibility. And, and like I said, so that's just a, special hack (laughs) that i use and then i say what what are you know a few negative habits and you know if the person says i don't know i mean i don't want to pick on smokers but the idea is you can quickly identify the character of the person there are many great smokers out there so i don't want to offend anybody but (laughs) that but my point is smoking. Right, right. Let's pick on
1: the vapors. Let's pick
2: on the... the I'm smoking. not. I'm not going to pick on anybody. <laughs> um, the, my, my habits picking on people. Man. The only Why? other thing I will <laughs> say, it's a, um, it's somewhat related, and I caught this the other day. In the states here, they do you know PSA, public service announcements, and maybe it's our discussion about smoking, but. Um, What they keyed on, they're trying to get people to stop smoking. And it's very interesting. It's the first one I saw. It was targeted to military service personnel who tend to smoke a lot. And the guy's message, I just saw this last night and it stuck in my head. His message was, a, I got cancer, and B, it's hard to run to protect people in battle when you can't breathe. This was a brilliant commercial because it it did exactly what we we're talking about. If you can change a person's values or at least make them aware of them, then it directs and guides their behavior. So this commercial I thought was brilliant because it was saying indirectly, hey, soldier... Um. And it wasn't totally indirect because there was a soldier saying, look, I it, I couldn't run. I couldn't save people. I couldn't support my troops because I had lung cancer. And it makes, I think, all soldiers who see it question their values. All of a sudden, if if the highest value you have is protecting and serving your country, Now, maybe you're going to start to rethink the decision and the behavior of smoking.
1: I'd love to jump to this, Martin, because if you look holistically, if I'm trying to build a corporation and I'm aware as a CEO or a leader, a business leader of habits from a culture perspective, stuff like you talk about this, certain aspects trigger habits like smell, songs certain things happening. So so external triggers, essentially, or internal triggers. But if if habits can be triggered by things like external things like, you know, visuals, pictures, photos, and, and I mentioned actually that that quote, I talked about where characters, what you do when no one's looking, I saw that first in the gym. And every time I saw it in the gym, it made me go, okay, I'm not going to cheat myself. And and when I read the book, that reminded me of that poster on the wall because it was like, well, that makes the environment in which you work really important.
2: When you think about companies, um, companies set goals. And the ones that instill really the best habits are the ones that tend to achieve their goals, the supportive habits of their goals. So, you know, pick a company, but... I mean, what, what does McDonald's do so well? They automate everything. So these guys uh, and gals operate almost, you know, uh, robotically, right? And then they're doing it second nature because they know where the buns are. They know where the meat is. They know where this is. And they, they have a checklist and they have a routine, which is a routine just means a series of habits they institute habits that serves their corporate goals
1: but then they have to sustain that because you see oftentimes with companies and they'll go on these um i call them forced fun days because uh, back in back in the ruby days we used to go on these weekends and uh, we'd be sent off on this kind of water park or some type of adventure adventure day out for every summer so it was before it was coming into a new season it's like oh, let's do something fun to bring the guys together. And you see it with companies all the time. So in a way, reading the book again triggered that with me. It was like, okay, well, if if your environment is supposed to be this place that, that is supposed to be constant reminder of who you are, so your vision or your mission statement or your North Star of what your company stands for, it needs to be done in permanence. Because, again, coming back to the book and the accompanying app, the they're there they're there to constantly remind you and constantly trigger this ongoing thing and when i when i read um an element you had in the book about maxwell Maltz and the amputees self-image i i I think that was really really um really important piece of the whole pie because it showed that you know it takes a while to either break a habit or create a habit
2: so the the story behind the the book Psycho Cybernetics, which is a bit of a mouthful, but the gist was he would he would perform plastic surgery on people, and um, a lot of times they would have facial deformities. Some would be significant, many would be uh, insignificant in his opinion. Unfortunately he he what he realized is it didn't matter what he thought, so he would try to dissuade some of these patients, and one in particular he he said he convinced the guy basically, look, I want you to go through and and not have the surgery, and for twenty one days, I want you to affirm you know this thought where." it's all in my head, I think it was a nose job, and, and nobody's really looking, and, and the specifics don't matter so much. It was just this idea that there was a perceived um, deformity, and it was overblown in his self-concept, in his mind, and the affirmations Dr. Maltz would give him, if the guy, he assured him if he would just reaffirm that every day for 21 days you would ultimately end up finding it was a non-issue meaning it wasn't then affecting his career and he didn't ultimately need surgery so here was a surgeon doing what was right for his patient but more importantly he was trying to demonstrate and prove that we can rewire our thinking and so he he actually began this 21-day habit myth. A lot of it was tied to um, amputees who had this phantom feeling, and it would take them, I guess, just over 21 days before they realized that their limb was actually gone and that feeling went away, the sensation of the limb. So that began, Aiden, this 21-day myth, but, but really... Um, 21 days is only the beginning of habit development and it takes far more than 21 days and there are various other uh, variables that contribute to habit development
1: so that's habit reversal essentially but one of the best ways to do it is if you have that habit and you're reversing it is to replace it with another habit but a good one so one that's actually a positive one, and as you talked about the dark side and the light side, you're kind of going, I'm going to go with the force here, the good side of things, and actually replace the bad one because you have this gap, I suppose, this opportunity to go, okay,
2: I'm going to take that out and put this in and build, rebuild again. That's correct. So it's the old nature bores a vacuum, and, and there's a great, very, very old quote that, Yeah, you know, habit is replaced by habit, like a nail is replaced by a nail. You, the failure with a lot of people is they just try to um, stop doing something rather than replace it, starting to do something else. So one great example is a buddy who wanted to drink a lot less alcohol. Rather than stop drinking, he just drinks non-alcoholic beverages. So he gets all the effects, you know, of socializing and holding a drink and drinking, everything's there except for the alcohol. And it's a it's a, an idea of substitution rather than elimination.
1: That actually segues nice with this piece because I suppose I, I loved this one as well where you talked about... Habits under stress. So you talked about like oranges and chocolate. Under stress, people will go for the nasty habit because because the stress element actually adds this element of of um, I need something to actually fill this gap for me in a negative way.
2: Yeah. So what what happens is in this time brings us in some ways full circle back to willpower and tabla rasa and you know there are no there are no babies with willpower. Um, born with willpower. So that's, that's a, you know, I should say discipline. No discipline, babies. And, and willpower is this varying, so there's discipline, I should separate, and then there's willpower. Willpower is kind of in the moment, and discipline is something you develop over time. It's, it's a habit, ultimately. So that's why I'm saying there are no disciplined babies. Well, under pressure, under stress, if there aren't, Supportive foundational habits in place, our willpower wanes, and we go into default mode. Now, the great news is if you have if your default mode is slash are good habits, then you're you're set. But if you haven't established those good habits, so if I have the habit of just as an example eating a salad every other night. Um, even under stress, I'm still going to eat that salad because I'm just wired that way. Like I like the greens. I like the tomatoes. I'm not going to just reach for cake, but if it's a brand new habit I'm trying to develop and I'm only a week into tracking and I'm under stress, like screw the salad, give me the cake. So so yeah, willpower will wane, which is why habit becomes even more important when you look at things like stress and pressure and how they influence. You know, another good example since you're a uh, a great athlete is if you have. Did you happen to see the Super Bowl? Not this year, man. No, 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 no. no. Oh, dude. All right, we'll talk about that later. So the the point is under immense uh, stress and pressure you know the clocks ticking down with what team is the one that you know kind of rises above under pressure and stress it's the one it's the one of course that has the habits the fundamentals in place right they're not breaking down they don't have to rely on any magical moment or willpower what what they have is, the foundational habits in place. So in the Super Bowl the reason I ask is and you probably heard but you know at one point the New England Patriots were down by 21 points. Nobody's ever come back with a 10 point deficit in the Super Bowl and then they went to overtime and it you know in 3 minutes they scored 16 points or something incredible. And and the Patriots are just known to be fundamentally sound and have great habits
1: it's a lovely way to top off this interview martin because it brings me full circle because I, I see this i see this very little delineation between corporate habits sports habits personal habits and that beautiful one of, of the super bowl and the patriots is like ultimately you want your your team the people you've had you've hired and we talked about the hiring questions the fight what's your five habits because if you tie them all together and you go, okay, when the going gets tough, which it does in business, especially if you're growing, if you're in the middle of your kind of growth curve, things are easy enough, but they should never be too easy. You should always be putting yourself under pressure. You should always be stretching your goals, etc. But when, when the going gets tough, the people who have those habits, they default to the salad, not the chocolate pudding. Those type of people who, Character is what they do when no one's looking because they've built they've built up the willpower power like willpower is a muscle. You've built it up, you you've you've you, all those things holistically, that's when business succeeds because everybody's
2: pointed in the same direction and you just nail it and success comes. Yeah, the discipline you can rely on the discipline of the moment and not willpower because you've built it over, you know, months and years and decades. And that's what um that is what contributes and constitutes our character habit. So yeah, I like the way you button that up, but it it, it all it habit <laughs> habit intersects um every factor if you will every facet of our lives so it's our character it it helps us achieve goals it it's determines whether our uh you know our sports team wins or loses and our company wins and loses it's it's all the above you you know the one the great little i guess parable about the two uh goldfish swimming no man, I haven't heard that one. No,
1: no hit, no, hit me.
2: All right, let's see if I can let's see if I can get this straight. So two fish are swimming past an older, wiser fish, and and as they swim past, the the elderly fish says, "Morning, boys. How's the water?" And the <laughs> two fish just keep swimming, and one looks to the other and says, "Water. What the hell is water?" <laughs> pretty pretty. <laughs> What the hell is water? And that's what we're swimming in, right? Habit. Yeah. What Quite the hell is habit? <laughs> Brilliant. It's a
1: fantastic book, highly recommended. The Habit Factor, Martin grumberg It's on Amazon, your Amazon page as well. The Pressure Paradox is there. And the app is on Android and iOS in the App Store. And uh, you're on Facebook uh, on The Habit Factor, forward slash The Habit Factor. Anywhere else people can find you, Martin?
2: No, that's good. Twitter, The Habit Factor, and and I was just going to say for the app, we're not trying to sell anything. There's only two things I would say. One is there's a free version, Android and iOS, and the second thing is um, there is a free template, which is at thehabitfactor.com forward slash templates, which is what the app was before it was ever an app. So in order to do that paddling event, I worked from a very similar uh, template, a spreadsheet, and I just use that. I know some people don't even have smartphones at this point or they don't want to use them. I actually prefer the, the paper template because I just tape it to my desk and it, and it uh, you know, with the phone, there's so many other things going on. So, So when it's a really serious goal... I use this template, and and the whole point of all this is it's all free. Nobody's selling anything here, Aiden. And thank you um, for the invite again. That was fun.
1: Absolute pleasure, man. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. I'm sure we'll have you back on. I'll read uh, Pressure Paradox. It might be a few months, but uh, we we'd love to have you back on the show, Martin Grunberg. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. And you know, the pressure paradox for you may even be dare I say better, just because it's, it's about performing under pressure and productivity and even peace of mind and, and how pressure relates to all of those. So I look
1: forward to it. Thank you again, Aiden. Likewise, man. Take care, man. Bye-bye, bye. So now on in the Innovation Show, it's a great honor to welcome back Nir Eyal, author of Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. Nir is known as the prophet of habit-forming products. Welcome back to the show, Nir. Thanks
0: for having me back. I'm, uh, I'm glad that I got the re-invitation.
1: Yeah, man, we got huge positive feedback from your last interview and a lot of people buying the book, getting in touch and saying how, how great it is. And it is, I mean, it, it's very forward thinking book and so vital. And we're going to touch on this in, in today's chat, but so vital in a world that's more and more screenless. Before we even go there, it'd be great to get a quick recap from, from the author himself on the hook model.
0: Sure. Yeah. Let me give you kind of a 30,000 foot overview. Basically, the the book Hooked is about this design pattern that we see is embedded in all sorts of habit forming products. So if you think about the kind of technologies, both online and offline, frankly, that that keep us coming back. So the book is mostly about this phenomenon of online products. So things like Facebook and Twitter and email and Instagram and Snapchat and, and WhatsApp. And even in the enterprise, companies like Slack you know, what is it about these companies? What is it about the design of their products and services that keeps us coming back? Uh, so the book was really written for people who are looking to design these habit-forming products. And my hope was that people could take this information and not only use it for building social networks or time wasters, but also to build products and services that help us create healthy habits in our lives. Uh, and that and that's really the, the main motivation of, of why I wrote the book. And the 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 central... Uh, framework of the book is around explaining what I call the Hooked Model. And the Hooked Model is this four-step process that once you realize, once you kind of see it, you can picture it in all sorts of different products and services that bring you back. And so you can, you can start you know, being on guard for, for how these products hook us. Uh, and the four basic steps, I'll walk through them very, very quickly here, are a trigger, an action, a reward, and an investment, Uh, A trigger, there are two types of triggers, external triggers and internal triggers. I'll get back to the internal triggers in a second, but the external triggers you see every day. These are things in our lives, in our environment that tell us what to do next. Things like click here, buy now, uh, play this, uh, a friend through word of mouth telling you about this great new app you should try out or product you should try. Those are all external triggers. They tell you what to do next. Then the action is, uh, is the simplest thing you can do to get a reward. So if you take, let's, let's take Facebook as an example. You know, a lot of people use Facebook, billions of people now use Facebook. So the external trigger would be a notification that you get on your phone that says, hey, somebody liked uh, your picture or something. The action would be to just open the app and start scrolling. As soon as you start scrolling, uh, now you're given the next step of the hook, which is the variable reward phase. Uh, So variable rewards are very, very powerful, and we see them in all sorts of engaging products. This comes from the classic work of B.F. Skinner. Skinner, in his famous experiments, took these pigeons, he put them in a little box, and he gave them a reward, a little food pellet, every time they pecked at this little disc. So what Skinner could do through what he called operant conditioning, he could train the pigeons to peck at the disc whenever they were hungry. Great, peck at the disc, get a little food pellet, terrific. But then Skinner did something a little different. He started introducing a variable reward. So sometimes the pigeon would peck at the disc and no food pellet would come out. The next time the pigeon would peck at the disc, they would get a reward. And that that variability, what, what Skinner observed was that the rate of response, the number of times the pigeon pecked at the disc increased when the reward was given on a variable schedule of reinforcement. And we see that in all sorts of products. I mean, online and offline. This variable reward, this uncertainty, this mystery is what keeps us engaged again and again, whether it's with news, right? The reason the news is so engaging, we keep checking the headlines and seeing what's going on. It's because we want to know what's new, what's different. Uh, Sports, right? The reason we like watching uh, a ball bounce across a field is because it's variable. We don't know where that ball is going to land. The reason gambling is, is habit forming, if not addictive. And of course, back to technology. That endless feed, that news feed that just goes on and on, and it's full of all this interesting content that we want to engage in, and you're not sure, you know, is the next thing going to be interesting or not interesting? And so that keeps you scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, just like pulling on a slot machine. And then finally, the last step of the hook is the investment phase, and this is probably the most overlooked. What's really special about the investment phase is that the investment phase is where the user puts something into the product in anticipation of a future benefit. Uh, And this is something that makes uh, the Hooked model very different from just a plain old habit loop, is that the the investment phase is really special in that it's something that you can only do when you have a two-way street, when you can communicate with the user and also receive data back from the user. And that's really the the secret behind why these products are becoming so habit-forming, is because you are co-creating the products based on the information you provide. The data you give them, the content you upload, the followers and friends you accrue, the reputation that you build on these sites makes the product better and better and better with use. So you're co-creating Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and WhatsApp and Slack. You're making the product with the product creator through your investment. And then finally, just to kind of loop it back around, once you've done this trigger, action, reward, investment enough times... The product will condition you to no longer require that external trigger at all. And this is a really big deal. I mean, if you think about it, I don't know how many of you saw the, the Super Bowl that was just uh, aired a few weeks ago, but you didn't see any commercials for Facebook or Snapchat or Slack or Instagram. Why not? I mean, these companies have you know hundreds of millions, if not billions of users, and yet they spend almost no money on advertising. Well because they don't need to bring people back through spammy messages and expensive marketing campaigns they bring people back to their products and services out of habit and they do that by attaching to that second type of of trigger I mentioned earlier the internal trigger the internal trigger is a painful emotion it's something that doesn't feel good that to relieve that discomfort we use some kind of product or service we immediately jump to opening an app, playing a video, reading the news, doing something to take us away from that discomfort. And that typically is an uncomfortable emotion. And so once companies can attach to those internal triggers, once the solution to your problem is the product's use, you instantly use it with little or no conscious thought.
1: You describe this often as the vitamin, not the painkiller. So it's actually this investment, that constant investment in the product which makes the product better, and that's a key piece that so many traditional companies who are moving to digital totally missed. They missed that internal, external trigger piece, the investment. And you've given this perfect framework to actually go, okay, and let's build the product with this framework in mind. Cause as we are moving towards this greenless world, this mm-hmm. is so key to have people hooked because how can you advertise them? You, you mentioned those products, not having to advertise but there's so many the other products that are going to miss the boat. If we go to a screenless world with the rise of Alexa, with the rise of Siri, your hook model becomes very, very important.
0: Right. I mean, this this is why I, I started down this path in the first place. In fact, the 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 impetus to to do this research and write this book was that I had a hypothesis uh, around where the world was going. And, and I was frankly looking for what kind of company I'd want to start next. I, I've started two tech companies and uh, when the last one was was acquired, I had some time on my hands, and I kind of sat down and said, "Okay, how am I going to allocate my human capital? What am I going to do next?" And to do that, I kind of thought like uh, I, I took a cue from my venture capitalists uh, who invested in my company, the VCs who invested. Uh, they would talk about how they invest their 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 financial capital, and so I want to figure out how would I invest my human capital. You know, as an entrepreneur you can't do what the VCs do, you know, the VCs will spread their investment uh, their money in many, many different investments. But as an entrepreneur, you can only pick one horse to ride at a time. So I really wanted to put some thought into how I was going to invest my human capital. And what I realized was, is that, you know, as as the interface shrinks, as more of our time with technology is spent with interfaces with smaller screens. I mean, literally smaller screens, think about it. When we went from the desktop, to the laptop, to the mobile interface, to then the wearable interface. If you think about the, the wrist-worn devices, that's an even smaller interface. And now, the screen interface has completely disappeared. When you think about it, you mentioned products like Amazon's Echo, or uh, uh, Microsoft Cortana, or the, the Google Home device. These voice interfaces, what I call conversational user interfaces, these, these conversational UIs, these are gonna become an increasingly important part of our day-to-day routines, and of course, the challenge for someone who's trying to be a part of that future is that the user's behavior is completely dependent on habit meaning if I don't remember what to ask Alexa for uh, i I can't use those skills. I can't use those apps so to speak they're called skills but but in this case they're you know th- these, these these technologies that other developers have built if I don't remember what I want to ask. I'll, I won't ask for it. It's not like an app on your home screen that you can see the button, even though today, on, on, even on mobile, you know, if you're not on that first page on that, the, on that home screen of someone's phone, your app might as well not even exist because they're just not going to remember to use you. So you're absolutely right. I think uh, as the interface shrinks and eventually uh, the, the screens disappear completely, habits become even more important.
1: Yeah, and and it really raises raises your stock both as a consultant, but also the book as well. It makes the book even even more important. Here, I I know the positive out uh, aspects of the hooked model because I actually once I read the book, I started applying it to my own training and even my writing and kind of going, okay, how do I actually have a reward and how, you know what is that reward and what mm-hmm. how do i trigger it? and like for example it might be training before breakfast so breakfast becomes the reward and i'm done for the day mm, yeah and that kind yeah. of stuff and do, do you use it yourself from a writing perspective do you do, are you aware of it now you need
0: two different sides of the coin you need to do the thing you want to do but you also need to not do the things you don't want to do okay pretty simple so where the hook model applies i think is with with the second category the things you want to stop doing so i actually you know the, the 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 trojan horse of this book is that you know people buy the book because they think oh i want to build the next facebook and that's terrific i i want people to, to buy the book and build healthy habits for users that's terrific and i've seen many companies now do this with the book which is which is you know amazing it's made it so worthwhile but the second reason, the Trojan horse here is not only that I, I want people to buy the book thinking they're going to create a great new product and a great new habit for their users, but also is that when you read the book, you you can't help but realize that this is being done to you, right? That these hooks are bringing you back. <laughs> uh, and sometimes they're getting you to use products and services more than you'd like or, or at times that you don't want to. So when you say, okay, have you used this in your life for writing? Uh, I don't use it so much to do the writing itself, and I'll tell you why in just a second. I use it to break the hooks I don't want in my life, right? So that by understanding how these technologies hook us, we can thoughtfully break the hook. We can remove the triggers. We can make the action more difficult. We can delay the reward, and we can make sure not to invest. I just took the same four steps that I described earlier and thoughtfully put friction between those steps. And that's how you would break a bad habit. Now, the reason I don't use the hook model, to get back to to the earlier point, the reason I don't use the hook model to write, to do these behaviors, is because writing is not a habit, okay? Uh, Anybody who says writing is a habit doesn't understand, either doesn't write, or doesn't understand what a habit is. Uh, A habit is a behavior done with little or no conscious thought. Writing is not something I do with little or no conscious thought. It's hard. It takes a lot of thought. It's not something that's effortless in any way, shape, or form. And so it will never become a habit. What it is, is a routine. Okay, a routine is just a, a behavior repeated frequently. So I can, I, and that's what I do. To write, I set time in my day. I have two hours every day. I can sit down at my desk and I practice this routine of writing. To do that, I have to remove these other distractions, which is where I have to break these hooks in my life. So so uh, that's how I've kind of made this practical and, and use it in my de- everyday life.
1: That makes a lot of sense, man. I would have had that the other way around. I would have tried to inform a habit rather than, as you say, break a habit. And uh, that's a valuable tip. You mentioned that we start to notice, which we are. It's, it's almost like, reminds me of the matrix. You've taken the the red or blue pill and you're, <laughs> all of a sudden you're awake. And you're awake and kind of going, hey, wait a second. I'm being manipulated here. Now, now not in a malicious way. But it does raise this question that I was I was getting to before, which is the ethical question about yeah. habit-forming products and habit-forming in the right way. And I know this is something you're going to talk about at the Habit Summit coming up on April 4th to 5th in San Fran, It right. looks like an awesome event. We'll touch on that in a second, but it'd be great to touch on the ethics, the ethical part of habit-forming.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is something I think about a lot uh, since I wrote the book, because I, I get a lot of folks... Uh, know who come to my workshop or a talk i'm giving and or they ask something similar to what you did of like you know is this is this okay like is this is this kosher to do to people to to use their hidden psychology to to manipulate them to do things uh and i think that is that is great Uh, i i want that conversation to occur like i said i mean the, the the trojan horse of the book is that it helps you evaluate your your own behaviors uh and i think that's that's very important and i think it's going to become increasingly important because Look, the, the free market forces that none of us can stop uh, will inevitably create products and services that are harder to resist in the future. Uh, that, 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 you know, if you think using Facebook is, is habit forming, wait till you get immersed into VR, right? What, one, you know, there, there will be new technologies that become even harder to disconnect from in, in the future. And so I think it behooves all of us to kind of understand what hooks us and therefore, how to unhook and put technology in its place. And so that's something I care about deeply on a, on a personal level. And I, I give tips actually on my blog, if you if you go to nearandfar.com and you search unhooked, there's a there's a 15-minute talk I give around exactly how to do this, how to break the four steps in the, the hook model to put technology in its place. But all of that is about the person, uh, you know, the user themselves, how to exact some personal responsibility. Because I think, look, that even though uh, it's not your fault that these products hook you, it's your responsibility. Okay, Even though it's not your fault, it's your responsibility. Meaning, it's not your fault that uh, the baker down the street makes these amazing cakes and cookies and uh, donuts. They're just so delicious, right? And that, you know, think about it, that is a technology. The, the amount of of, of machine engineering that has gone into making this beautiful white flour and this highly refined sugar and, incre- and, and put together just the right proportions to make them irresistible, that is just as much a habit-forming, if not addictive, technology as Facebook is. But you know we don't complain to the baker and say, stop making all these delicious desserts. They're too good. We we take responsibility for our behavior and we dial it back. Maybe we'll have you know dessert once in a while, but if you have too much sugar, you're going to suffer consequences. And so that's what I think what we're seeing when it comes to these online technologies. So it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Now, that's the personal side. The the maker side, I think, is a whole nother story. And I think this, so this is what my my talk at the Habit Summit is going to be about. It's about how to manipulate people in a good way, meaning that. Manipulation is not necessarily wrong. Manipulation is just influencing people's behavior. And we do this all the time. Uh, the way we dress, when we uh, go on a sales call, when we build a web page, all of this stuff is meant to manipulate. But there's a big difference between the two different kinds of manipulation there is persuasion and there's coercion. Persuasion is when we influence people to do things they want to do. Okay, to do things they want to do. Coercion is when we get people to do things they don't want to do, and I think there's a there's a uh, there's a, a big difference between the two. And so my talk is going to be about how do we make sure that we stay in that that good category of persuasion, which I think is perfectly ethical because I think the real value, the real problem, look, is is not that a few companies like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram have gotten so good at hooking us. The real problem is that far too many companies don't hook us enough, right? If you think about your local businesses or government services or, geez, you know, the vast majority of websites out there, they don't suck us in, not the way Facebook and Twitter might know. They just plain old suck. And so that's, that's the real opportunity. The real problem is that far too many companies don't use this stuff. I mean, think about how much better our world would be. If we could get hooked to physical activity and exercise, if we could get hooked to healthy food, if we could get hooked to being in contact with people we love on a regular basis, if we could get hooked to all sorts of good habits, I think the world would be a much, much better place. And that's what I want people to do with this book. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't also, like any superpower, use the forces for evil. And I think that's where the ethical line is crossed when you essentially trick people, when you get people to do things now, but then later on, they realize, wait a minute, I didn't want to do that. That's that's not at all what I wanted to do. And so my, my talk at the Habit Summit is really going to be about what's the ethical code. And the, the key question here that I think the design community has yet to answer is a very simple question, is what do we as business people, what won't we do? Okay, what won't we do? And I think every company, uh, you know, a lot of companies have their company motto or the, the mission statement or whatever other bullshit. I think what's even more valuable than any of that stuff that nobody actually remembers is a very clear articulation of what won't we do, meaning what persuasion tactic won't we use. Now, for most companies, it's don't break the law, okay? Just don't get us in jail. And I think that's a, that's a pretty low bar. I think we can do a lot better than that because there's a lot of things that are currently legal and yet are coercive. Uh, and the real cost of using these of tactics, of course, it's from an ethical perspective, it's bad news. But I think that with the, the real cost that I think companies fail to consider is that this kind of stuff comes back to bite you in the ass. That when people have discovered that you've tricked them, that you've made them do something that they did not want to do, they not only do they stop using your product, they stop buying from you, they'll tell all their friends that you're terrible. Uh, and so that's the real cost. So that's really what what the talk is going to be about.
1: That sounds awesome. And it it, it makes total sense because there's random mission statement generators online where you can just throw in a load of words and it'll garble out a mission statement. It's hilarious when you, when you have a look at it, but when you actually see some of the mission statements companies have that they they have locked away in a desk somewhere that nobody knows it, nobody's aware of, and they don't have a true North star and more than ever, there's a need for that actual clarification or clarity and of vision and purpose every day. What do I get out of bed for every day? What do I, what's the benchmark I I make my decisions against every day. And that's so lacking in companies. And it's, I don't know what you think about this, but I often think of, you know, there's everybody saying, Oh, millennials are job hoppers. And you kind of going are they, or are they looking for meaning? Are they looking for companies who have a purpose, who have a meaning, that they go to work every day to want to achieve something more than a paycheck, and is that is that something that's in the world? So you raise a really a really valid point there.
0: Yeah, and I actually think I think there's a universal. Just to kind of give you a a, a, a preview into what I'm going to talk about, I, I think I think there's actually a universal ethical guide that I, I've tried to really distill down to answer this question of what won't we do? And I think I think it's actually pretty simple that if the, the rule is as as a product designer that when asked what won't we do, the answer is we don't do anything that if the user or sorry, we don't design any behaviors that if the user knew everything we knew, they wouldn't do. Meaning if the use, if our customer, if our user could get inside our heads and know everything that we know about what we're doing, if knowing that information, they wouldn't take that action, then we shouldn't do it. So I, I think that as a, as a guide is it would would prevent uh, really, you know, the, all the unethical uh, m- uh, misapplication of, of these persuasion techniques.
1: Yeah, man, that sounds like a, a fascinating talk. And uh, I'd love to <laughs> I'd love to be in San Fran. I'm going to try and uh, swing that one to get over for the Habits Summit. And it looks like an awesome event.
0: We've got a fantastic lineup. We've got uh, Jane McGonigal, who wrote Reality is Broken and Super Better. She's a gamification uh, pioneer. She's going to be talking about habits uh, from the future. Uh, we've got uh, Nandini Stoker, who's from Google, talking about uh, those conversational user interfaces I talked about earlier. We have Susan Weinshank, who's going to talk about the top five things you need to know about people to design for engaging products and services. Uh, we've got Carl Marcy from Nielsen Neuroscience, talking about habits, addictions, and the distracted consumer. I mean, I could go on and on and on. The roster is just amazing. Uh, we have Buster Benson from Slack, uh, talking about cognitive biases, So it's a really, really good lineup this year. This is the fourth uh, Habit Summit, and uh, it's going to be bigger uh, than ever this year. We moved it to the Mission Bay Conference Center in San Francisco so we can hold even more people, uh, which we constantly get feedback from participants that the people who attend, uh, these like-minded folks who want to use behavioral design for good, are really a a huge draw for why to attend. It's just interacting with these other professionals who think the way you think.
1: That's fantastic. So and and tickets are available on HabitSummit.com right habitsummit.com it's always a pleasure to have you on the show and thank you again for your time and your wisdom near the prophet of habit forming products and founder of habit summit thanks for joining us my pleasure it's been a real pleasure thank you